From the time we are very young, we are taught to become independent. This is kind of the goal. When you have a child, you don't want to keep them dependent upon you for a little while, but there comes that time when you start to show them forms of independence, a way that they can be independent. And the goal is that they kind of leave the nest, right? And go out and do their thing and they become independent. We're taught to take responsibility for our lives. We learn that in many ways, we have to pick ourselves up. The old analogy was, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, right? I'm not sure exactly how that works, but that was the old analogy, right? And even from uh, American poets, I remember in high school, we had to read a poet, a poem by Emerson uh, called Self-Reliance. Anybody remember that uh, poem and kind of just, you know, echoing that idea of independence and reliance on self. We're even taught in the scriptures that we're to take care of ourselves. Yeah, in the scriptures, there are certain ways that we are admonished to, to take responsibility for our own lives and to take care of ourselves. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 5. You'll see it up on the screen behind me. He says, for each one shall bear his own load. Each one, each person shall bear his own load. And then, and, and Paul said it another way in 2 Thessalonians, and this is apropos for our day to day. He said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. You'll also see that on the screen behind me. He says, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And so the idea was raising people up to take the responsibility for their own lives. Certainly taking care of those who can't take care of themselves, but those who are able-bodied, those that can work, there's no such thing as we're not willing to work, therefore we're going to give you a paycheck. No, nope, that don't work, and it's not biblical, so that's my statement on that for tonight. But anyways, there it is from the Word. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. These are powerful truths of God's word that relate to our own personal responsibility. God gives us the strength and the mind to work and be responsible and to, you know, have energy and to, and to provide and take care of ourselves. But there is one area that God wants us to be mindful of, that we're not independent, that we cannot carry the load. And that is when we come face to face with our own personal need spiritually. When we come face to face with the reality that apart from Christ, that we are dead in sins. And in that case, in that example, we are totally helpless, hopeless, and dependent on the Lord ultimately who comes into our situations and takes care of that. And so when it, when it comes to that, we are to learn how to be dependent upon Christ. We learn how to depend upon his work in our lives. And then he teaches us to keep and continue to depend upon him for the things that, he, that we need to depend upon him for. Yes, we learn responsibility and there are all those powerful truths, but we, the Lord wants to teach us those times, those ways that we need to fully depend upon him, that we need to fully trust in him. So we're continuing in this chapter in John chapter 11. 
Uh, we continue in John 11 with the situation of Lazarus, who's Jesus' friend. Remember, he had friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This, these were his very close friends that lived right, right outside of Jerusalem, about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, in a town called Bethany. And remember, Lazarus is deathly sick. He's terminal. And last week, just to review, we saw the perfect love of God. We saw the perfect love of Christ. We saw um, how La Jesus finds out that Lazarus is terminally ill. And then what does he say? He says, well, I'm going to stay on here another two days. And we learn from this that Jesus' love for us is perfect and that it's eternal, and that he's got the whole big picture in mind, and he knows exactly what he wants to do in our lives. He, he knows even if there's a, a season that we need to kind of go through a, a, a kind of a rough time so that his glory can be revealed in us, that he can receive the glory in us. And so the perfect love of Christ came through crystal clear last week in that, in that part of the passage. And we, and we learned how uh, Jesus stayed on two more days after he found out that Lazarus was terminal there in Bethabara. And in our passage tonight, we'll see that the logical response to the perfect love of Christ is to depend upon it, depend upon him, depend upon his love and his way that he takes care of those things that we cannot rely on ourselves for. Amen. And this is what we need to do in our lives. So whatever you're facing today, you may be facing relational problems, financial problems, sickness, and, and you know, there'll be those times when we even come face to face with death, death in, in, in our families. And we've got to know that through whatever it is that we depend upon Christ. Amen? And uh, that's the lesson. We depend upon his love. So let's look at this passage and ask God to help us depend upon Christ and his love like we never have before. If you're taking notes, first point is this. Jesus leads us to depend upon him. Jesus is going to lead you to depend upon him. Let's pick it up in John 11, verse... We're going to pick it up, verse 11. I'm going to actually back up to verse 9 just so you can get the flow of this. Um, well, let me give you the context of 8. They're going to go back to Judea and the, the disciples are like, no, Jesus, don't you remember? They're going to kill you in Judea. Why do you want to go back there? Okay, that's the context. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So the Lord Jesus teaches, leads us to depend upon him. He leads us to depend upon him. Jesus told the disciples that Lazarus' sickness would not be unto death, but that it would be for the glory of God, that the Son of God would be glorified through it. So when Jesus had said these things to them, 
uh, that, that God would get the glory and that the son would be glorified, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. There are a couple things that we need to notice here. First is that Jesus refers to Lazarus as our friend. It's Jesus' friend. And, and last week in, in the first part of this chapter, I love that verse where it said that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And, it, and it, we talked about how even after he found out that Lazarus was sick, that verse was still that descriptor verse of Jesus' love for his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So we talked about how, how sickness does not affect the love of God for us. And so we need to understand that. Even though there's been some teaching in that area and craziness, that uh, doctrine through the years and whatever, but just because you're sick, you don't have to go, wait a second, God doesn't love me anymore. God's abandoned me. God's not there for me. Yep, he's there and he's gonna see you all the way through. You just keep depending upon him, amen? So Jesus is going to, to lead us to depend upon him. And so he's going to his friend and he says, our friend, let's go to our friend. And then Jesus says, but I go that I may wake him up. So we're going to go visit our friend, but I go that I may wake him up. So you see the difference there that, that Jesus is going to go. They're going to go collectively as friends of Lazarus, but Jesus is on a specific mission. He's on a specific mission personally. He's going to go to wake him up and ultimately that God um, and, and the son is going to be glorified. And this is how it is, how Jesus is with us. He, he, uh, he wants to lead us and he wants to come into our lives and he wants to um, do his work in our lives. So we need to, we just need to, you know, there's this idea of surrender we've been talking about. And part of it is just allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives and to depend upon him. We talk about when we look to the Lord and we're going to depend upon him, the analogy in scripture that we see put forth is the idea that, you know, we're the sheep and he's the shepherd, right? And, um, you know, the, the, the Bible paints us in a, in a light of being sheep, um, which is not the greatest of lights. You know, it's not the, you know, the, the, I guess the, the idea is that sheep are dumb and, you know, they'll, they'll follow a, you know, one starts going off a cliff. You know, there's, there's stories of whole flocks of sheep just walking off cliffs and stuff and, and crazy stuff like that. But, you know, so, you know, she, sheep, you know, not totally, you know, there, you know, on the intellectual side, but thank God for a good shepherd. Amen. And that's the analogy that we have in scripture. And so we, we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd in our lives. And David put it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then I'll have the second verse on the screen there behind me. It says, uh, Psalm 23 verse two, he says, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. Now, if Jesus is your shepherd, if he's the great shepherd, if he's the good shepherd and you're the sheep of his pasture, then you need to know that he's going to lead you beside still waters. What were still waters? Still waters was that place of, of security and tranquility and ultimately refreshment. They needed a place to be able to drink and the shepherd is going to lead his sheep to that place. And, we, and that's where we need to realize what Jesus is doing in our lives. He's going to lead us 
to, to trust in him. He's going to lead us to depend upon him. If you're a great shepherd, knowing what you need, which is to be led to still waters, if you'll just know that he's going to lead you to the still waters, he's going to bring you to that place where you're going to come right up upon. And I guess they've done studies of sheep. If you take sheep up to like a rough kind of waters, they, 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 they don't like that. They don't like to be, you know, they don't want to, they want that smooth, still waters. And don't you know that that's what Jesus wants to do in your life as the great shepherd, as the good shepherd? He leads me beside still waters. He wants to lead us to living water that we may come and drink and have our fill and that we'll never, ever thirst again. But see how it is that he's the one that leads us to that place. And once you've been led to that place, once you have walked with Jesus and you feel like you know You've kind of had that experience with the Lord. You know, you have that relationship with the Lord where you, where you begin to know the Lord a little bit. You know that he leads you beside still waters. You can begin to trust that. Begin to know that he's going to do that. Even when you feel like the still waters are the furthest thing from the picture. Here in our passage tonight, we're dealing with someone who's dead. <laughs> Doesn't get any worse than that in terms of our life here on earth. But even in that, knowing that, that, that Jesus is going to lead us beside still waters. Amen? So he's going to do it. The disciples then question Jesus. I'm going I'm to go that I may wake him up. We're going to go that, we, that I may wake Lazarus up. The disciples then question Jesus and they say, well, if he sleeps, he'll be fine. He'll wake up. And so they did, evidently the disciples didn't understand that Jesus was, um, you know, using the, the metaphor of sleep for death. What this tells me is that <clears throat> the disciples really were sheep, <laughs> really weren't that sharp, weren't really tracking with Jesus, you know, weren't really getting it on that, or they were just having a bad day. Okay, you know, they're just having a bad day. I know a lot of preachers like to get up and, you know, bash on the disciples. I'm one that like, I take, I take, um, you know, some soul, I take some comfort in the fact that these guys were kind of just like me, you know, you know, just uh, kind of dense sometimes, you know, and, uh, you know, thank God that, you know, Jesus will look at us even when, even in our densest moments, like, hello, McFly, you know, is anybody home? No, we're dense down here. We're dense. Okay, let me just put it to you plainly. Lazarus is dead. We're going to go help him out. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and Jesus is so graceful. He's so, we can learn that from him too. Like, you know, maybe there's, there's, there's some days that I would say, come on guys, pay attention. Lazarus is dead. Didn't you hear? We got the news. We got the, the memo. We got the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the Western U Union telegraph that, that Lazarus wasn't doing so good, but he's not like that. He, he, he loves us and he's so graceful and he, he speaks to us just in, in truth and perfection. Amen. And uh, he says, uh, Lazarus is dead. So they're going to go back and they're going to go to Bethany and, uh, and deal with the situation. Um, just to talk about that, death is referred to as sleep in the Old and New Testament. So this isn't like something that's completely unusual. And for whatever reason, they weren't tracking on the metaphor. 
Uh, Paul uses the analogy in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. You'll see the verse on the screen. This will be, uh, you'll, you'll be familiar with this verse. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so that's talking about the dead in Christ that will, will be resurrected at the time of the resurrection. And then later Paul tells us we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. So there will be those at the end that won't die. There will be, you know, a select, I guess, you know, lucky, lucky, <laughs> lucky group there at the end that won't, won't die, but will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye, right? When the Lord comes. So this is, uh, this is that analogy of being, um, dead and, and using the analogy of sleep. So Lazarus is dead, but Jesus is going to wake him up. And Jesus tells the disciples that he was glad for their sakes that he was not there. It's kind of an interesting verse. It's kind of an interesting thing that Jesus tells him there. You know, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't there. Now, wait a second. What are you saying, Jesus? You're glad that you weren't there for Lazarus so that we might see something? that we might believe. It's an interesting thing, interesting thing to consider in scripture. When I say this, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to track, you're going to go through all of your New Testament knowledge and try to figure out if, if this statement is not true. But I believe it is. If Jesus was there, Lazarus would not have died. If, Laz, if Jesus was there in Bethany, Lazarus would not have died. No one can die in the presence of the life giver. There is no account of anyone dying in Jesus' presence. And if he came into the presence of death, death was dealt with. He, he healed many. He raised many people to life. Amen? Even at the crucifixion, you say, wait, wait, wait. Didn't he die with a couple of other guys? But you'll notice from the text that he gave up his spirit first and then the others died. And so there's this incredible thing about the presence of Christ um, that death, that he is in charge when it comes to death. Amen. And um, so this was going to be a great learning experience for them that, that Lazarus did pass away, that he was dead, but it's going to be it's going to be something that's going to bring glory, glory to God. It's going to bring glory to, the, to, to, the, to, to Jesus. And it's going to be a learning experience for, for all of them, specifically the, the disciples. Um, and, you know, it should be an encouragement if we don't get maybe what our you know, when we're making our petitions known to Christ in our prayer time, we have our petitions, we have our wishes, so to speak. And, you know, God doesn't answer every one of those, but he, he does because he's got, he's got his will for our lives. And when we go to him, certainly he wants to, he's going to, um, we talked about this even on Monday, God always, when he stretches out his hand, if we ask God to intervene, he's going to stretch out his hand only to do one thing, and that's his will in your life. And so sometimes we ask him for something, and he kind of says, hey, I'm going to stay another two days. 
<laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead them to a place where they're going to depend on me. They're, I'm going to lead them to the still waters in their life. And so he's going to lead you through maybe a learning time, a time when you begin to rely on his goodness and his timing, when you rely on his wisdom. And thank God that he doesn't give us everything we ask for. I mean, can you imagine how crazy things would be if like every time we said, Jesus, do this, Jesus, do this. And he was just, you know, and, 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 if, and if he did everything that we asked him for, who knows what would happen for us? We, we don't actually know sometimes what's the best thing for our lives. We've prayed for stuff that we have come to find out and learn that thank God that didn't go through. Amen. Thank God that that contract didn't go through or that, thank God that job didn't, wasn't the one that God had for me. I thought it was, but God had something better. God had something uh, that, was, that was what he wanted for your life. And so we've got to learn to trust his wisdom, amen, for our lives and, 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 and his perfection and ultimately trust his goodness. He is bringing about his own infinitely better will to be done in our lives. Amen? Amen? And so we need to trust his plan. This verse also shows us that God is leading us along the road of faith gradually. These guys believed in Christ, but they were going to believe in a greater way. Here they were following Christ. Here they, here they were out at Bethabara. They were with Jesus. You could say, you know, hey, weren't they, you know, weren't they getting it on a certain level? Yes. You know, they had left their jobs. The guys that were fishermen left their nets when Jesus said, follow me. You know, Levi just literally, like he was a tax collector, he was literally up in the tax collector booth. Jesus walked by one day and said, follow me. He came down and followed him, left a, left a really good government job to, to go work with Jesus. And, um, and so they were getting it on a certain level, but there, there's more, <laughs> right? There's more that God wants to, to teach us. There's more that God wants to, to bring about in our lives, and he wants, to, he wants to grow us. And he does that sometimes gradually. He brings us along. And hopefully you're walking with the Lord in such a way that you begin to see, you begin to recognize the growth. Do you see growth in your life as you learn how to lean on him more, trust in him more, depend upon him more? Maybe stuff happens and you don't get as freaked out instantaneously like, oh, this happened and oh no, we got to freak out and, and have a you know, freak out section for a little bit and, th and then settle down and then kind of like, oh, well, maybe we should pray about it. You know, as you, as you grow in the Lord, maybe you realize like, hey, you know, God's got it under control. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray about this. See what God's up to. Look, what, look for, for what he's doing in the situation. Look for his activity. And as you grow, uh, you, you begin to think like this. You begin to have that type of faith. And I, my prayer for myself and for all of us here is that we're growing in faith like that. We're growing to depend upon him more and more. Hopefully you're trusting him more today than you were last year and the year before and the year before that. 
Amen. Hopefully that's the testimony of our lives. And, and, and if it's not, maybe tonight's a night where we take a look and say, okay, wait, what, what's happening? What's happening? And where do I need to get back on track with trusting the Lord? So these guys believed in Christ, but they were going to believe in a greater way. They were going to, they were going to see this, what God was going to do, what Christ was going to do. And, the, and it, it was going to take them further and further in their faith. You know, the gospel of John actually opens uh, with a miracle in chapter two. It's the, it's the first recorded miracle of Christ. And it's the, it's the miracle where uh, they ran out of wine at the wedding at Cana. Remember that? They ran out of wine and Jesus actually was just kind of going to hang back and, you know, just uh, kind of observe and watch and everything. And remember his mother came to him and said, Jesus, do something about the situation. He's like, mom, come on, you know, settle down. It's not, you know, we'll, we'll just, and then finally she just goes over to the attendant and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Jesus does perform the miracle. And there were many that believed upon him when they saw that miracle. That was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This miracle that he's going to do in raising Lazarus from the dead is literally the last miracle that leads up into the Passion Week. And so this is kind of, those are the bookends of Jesus' uh, miracles. And so um, they're all, there is always a purpose for God uh, doing a miracle. Um, you know, I don't think, and this is another statement that you kind of have to wrap your mind around, but you don't see recorded where Jesus just goes around haphazardly just doing miracles, just like there's always a reason why. There's always a bigger picture. There's always something that's, that's bigger that's happening in light of, of the miracle that Jesus is doing. And that's the type of stuff, that's the type of maturity level that we need to get to because if we're just kind of like looking at it like, hey, Jesus do this, Jesus do this, Jesus do this, man, the Lord wants to grow us. He wants to walk us down the path a little bit so that we get to like, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this? What are you teaching me? What's your will? What, what's, what's your wisdom in this situation? What do you want to do, Lord? Lord, let your will be done. Lord, this is how I see it. But then we're beginning to grow. And, uh, and so this miracle is going to be a huge miracle that, that they're going to witness. So, um, and, and, and we also learn that even in the death of Lazarus, we see a principle that um, later is picked up on with Paul when he's talking about anything separating us from the love of God, right? And so he gives this list in Romans 8 of all the things that cannot separate us from the love of God. And I'll read it. I'll see, you'll see it on the screen. Romans 8, beginning at verse 37, it says this, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Okay, so a lot there, a lot to, to discuss there, but I just want to highlight the two things. Neither death nor life, <laughs> neither death nor life will be able to separate you from the love of God. So Christian, 
Are you allowing Jesus to lead you to the place of the still waters, to the place of depending upon him? He's going to do it. And nothing that you're going through, no amount of anything is going to separate you from the love of God. And so we've got to understand that. Now, in verse 16, we see the devotion of Thomas. Um, Look at it. Verse 16, then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to the, the disciples, let us go that we may die. Now, Thomas is known for, you know, his nickname, right? Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas was the disciple that said after it was pronounced that Jesus was alive. He says, well, I won't believe it. I won't believe it until I see it, until I'm able to see the scars and, 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 and I'm able to touch the, the, the scars in his, in his hands. And, um, and so for that reason, you know, Thomas gets a, it's, you know, he's put in a bad light in a lot of people's minds. Not, not quite as bad as Judas. You know, Judas is kind of like, you know, there are two names that, 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 that people don't name their kids. Judas, for men, you don't, you don't, you know, Judas, you know, it's all the derivatives, <laughs> but Judas, you'll be hard pressed to find a bunch of Judases walking around, right? And then Jezebel, right? You don't name your daughter Jezebel. So uh, anyways, um, so Judas, Judas gets, gets a bad rap, but you know what? Here we see something about him that, is awesome. Let's, let's, let's say that he was a skeptic at the resurrection, okay? Let's say he's like doubting, he's the skeptic. But, but one thing we see in Thomas is that he is devoted. And a lot of times people who you may say, oh, well, they're, they're skeptical about this or skeptical, skeptical about that. But a lot of skeptics, a lot of people that are skeptical about stuff, when they see, you know, what they can rely on, they are very devoted, very devoted people. And we see this in Thomas. Thomas basically says, okay, let's go with, let's go with Jesus. Let's go. We'll die with him. And that's the type of devotion. Ultimately, that's the place where we want to be, right? We're, we're, we're martyrs for him. We're willing to die, but really we're willing to live for him, willing to trust him in life. So first, Jesus leads us to depend upon him. Secondly, Jesus teaches us to depend upon on him. Let's pick it up. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had, that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. 
And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. So Jesus leads us to depend upon him. And he also teaches us to depend upon him. Jesus teaches us to depend upon him. He teaches us to believe in him and he strengthens our faith along the way. As we learn Christ, we come to understand the fullness of his power, the fullness of his greatness, the greatness of his love, and the greatness of his grace. You know, as you walk along with, with, with the Lord, you know, hopefully you're growing in your knowledge of Christ. And as you have that experiential relationship with him, you know, the word to know in the, in the scriptures is this idea. In the, in the Hebrew, it's the word yada, right? It's, it's this idea, of, and, and it's actually a, a word that actually part of the idea is used when, when it talks about a husband knowing his wife, right? They, you know, in terms of that sexual intimacy. And it's, it's so it's, this, it's experiential knowledge that we have with the Lord as we walk with him. And hopefully we're, we're, we're knowing him more and more. Amen? We're knowing him more and more. And we... we, we, we we have a better understanding of his power we, we, so, so that we can rely on it. We have a better understanding of his grace. We have a better understanding of his love as we grow in him. And how the shepherd does this is that he, we want, I t- want to take you back to the, the 23rd Psalm. I read a, the verse where it says he leads you beside still waters. Uh, the first part of that verse in Uh, Psalm 23 verse 2 says this, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. When you can get a a sheep to lie down in green pastures, there's there's a a relationship there. There's a teaching there. There, There's an understanding of of trust that, that, that has been built there. And so um, and this is what Jesus wants to do. He wants us, yes, he's going to lead us beside still waters. He's going he's to lead us. He's going to make us to lie down in green pastures. And when you, where he leads you to lie down in green pastures is where he's taking care of you. He's feeding you the green pastures. Um, and I want you to see yourself. Hopefully you're seeing yourself in your relationship with Christ that he's leading you. Um, well, let me ask it this way. Would you characterize your relationship with Christ that, that you say, yes, he's led me to green pastures? Like I, I'm literally in the green pastures of the Lord. Like I, I'm feeding upon Christ. I'm, I'm depending upon him in such a way that, that he has done all this in my life. And, 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 and I can characterize my life that way, that he has led me to green pastures. He's, he's, he's brought me to a place where he can speak whatever he wants to speak into my life. He can bring whatever word. He can whisper. He can have that, that still small voice can come and he can speak that to my life because he's, he's made me to lie down in green pastures. Um, that is what we want. Amen. So Jesus teaches us to depend upon him. Um, John tells us that the distance between Bethany and Jerusalem is, is about, well, it's, it's two miles. In the English translation there, they, it's about two miles. 
And what this shows us is that it shows us how close to Jerusalem the raising of Lazarus occurred. It was less than two miles away from the center of, uh, from Jerusalem, which was the center of Judaism. And this all happened as, as we're coming upon what will become the Passion Week. And so this is part of the story of the crucifixion. This is part of, you know, what, what becomes known about Christ, that he literally like raising people from the dead. And, uh, and so this is what is, is becoming known. Um, Jesus' last and greatest sign took place right in the front doors of Jerusalem of, Jude, of, of, of Judaism. In fact, the text actually tells us that many of the Jews had come to comfort Mary and Martha. Now, they were a prominent family. They were a well-to-do family. Mary was the one who anointed Jesus' feet with the, with the spikenard of oil. Remember, she was rebuked for having done that because it was a very costly oil. Um, it, it, it could have been valued up to a year's salary, a, a, a year's salary. So she was rebuked um, because of that. But Jesus then rebuked the rebukers, right? And said, she will be known wherever the gospel is preached, Mary will be known <laughs> because what she has done has, has been done for me. So this is all happening is, is kind of a prelude to uh, the Lord Jesus going up to Jerusalem and ultimately to Passover and to the cross. When, Ma when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him. And the text says that Mary was sitting in the house. And this was kind of classic Mary and Martha. If you know a little bit about the Mary and Martha story, the earlier one, which is where Jesus was teaching and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And of course, Martha's doing all the, she's putting out the buffet and, 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 and the Java Point Cafe and all that. She's getting all that ready. But Martha's just sitting in the teaching, just lapping it up. And Mar or Mary's doing that. Martha's complaining, remember? And, uh, and, and it, and it kind of showed their personalities, you know? And, and here we, we see the difference of the personalities too. So Jesus, it, it, word comes out, Jesus is making his approach into Bethany and Martha leaps up and goes and runs and goes out to meet Jesus, Mary sitting in the house. And what this tells me is you see the different personality types. Mary was probably, is, is the more contemplative, um, the meditative one. Um, Martha is, you know, she's a, she's a, um, Oh, well, let, let me put it this way. She's the one, she gets it done. Amen. And, and, and you, and you got to have your Marthas and you got to have your Marys and there's different personalities and there's different people in the body of Christ. And the lesson here is that God can handle your personality. Amen. You might be the, the, the pensive one, the one that sits in the house and, you know, the reader and just constantly pouring over everything. Or you might be the one out here just getting a bunch of stuff done. God can handle the different personalities. And, uh, and so Martha comes and she comes out to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would, would not have died. Now, some have suggested that Martha was rebuking the Lord, but I don't necessarily take it that way. I, I think that the case is that it, it appears she's more just remorseful over the situation. Oh, Lord, it, it, man, it, if you had gotten here, 
this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus wouldn't have died. But she still has faith. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask, God, God will give you. And so there's great faith here. Um, Martha does have great faith. Still a little bit of a misunderstanding as, as to the exact identity of Jesus. And that's going to come uh, greater into, into, into view here. But she does have great faith. And, uh, and so God wants us to continue to grow in our faith. He wants us to, he wants to teach us to continue to depend upon him and to depend upon him in greater and greater ways. And so um, he's doing that with Martha. He's doing that with Lazarus. He's doing that with the disciples. Here we see Martha basically verbalizing, look, oh, Jesus, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened to Lazarus. But even now, and then they go into this, um, this conversation. Um, they go into this conversation and she says, Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And Martha responds to this by telling Jesus that she knows that, Je- that Lazarus will rise again at the resurrection. And this, this actually is showing forth her understanding of Jewish understanding that there, there, is, there is a resurrection. Okay, and so she's talking about the last day. In the last day, yeah, Lazarus is going to be resurrected. Um, but Jesus corrects her. He says, um, I'm, I'm here and I'm the resurrection. <laughs> I am the resurrection. And, and, and there's going to be something that's great that's going to happen right now. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Look at that. Go back to the text. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is to come into the world. A couple things I want to say about this. Sometimes when we come face to face with the reality of who Jesus is, the the, the reality of his identity, the reality of his power, all of it, maybe even his promises. As we're reading through the word and we read about the promises, we're apt to oftentimes, like Martha, project that into the future somewhere. Well, you know, that's not for today. That's for, you know, that day. You know, yeah, when you come across a verse like... Uh, the one that says, blessed is the, is the man whose sin will never be counted against him or who, whose sin will not be counted against him. And we like to think about, yeah, there's going to be that day in the future where we're going to be blessed because we're going to have made it and our sin will never be counted against him. But really, that's a promise not only for that day, but it's a promise for today. And sometimes we, we think, man, the, man, all the promises are great. And when those things, man, when we're walking in those, when we feel the full weight of those, it's going to be great. I think we, the, the promises of God are yes and amen. And we need to walk in the reality of those promises today. Yes. You know, when Jesus says you're blessed for this or that, claim that for today. Amen. That's the life that God's called us to, to. Yeah, there's going to be a day when it's the fullness of everything's going to unravel and unfold and it's going to be incredible. We're going to, John says it this way. We know when we see him, we're going to be like him for, you know, and all those wonderful things in the glory 
of that moment of the glorification of the saints, the resurrection and the glorification of the saints. But right now during this sanctification process, man, God has blessed you now. God is doing a work in you now. God is bringing you to that place where he's bringing you to the still waters. He's making you lie down on the green grass. Now you're blessed. You're drinking the living water. You're eating the grass of the word of God. Amen. You know, you're, you're, you're feeding on the, on the word of God day by day. You're, you're, you're a blessed person today. And I think some, you know, there, there was a critique of um, Christianity, you know, some eras of Christianity where it, it was almost kind of a woe is me Christianity, but one day, man, it's going to be awesome. One day we're going to be blessed. One day when we get to, you know, Beulah land or whatever, you know, it's going to be awesome. Hey, can we strike the choir up one more time on that one? Man, we've got to, we've got to live it today. We've got to walk in the promises today. Jesus was, she was talking about the resurrection at the end and he's sitting there saying, no, I'm right here. <laughs> I am right here today talking to you. And, uh, and, and that's what we've got to realize, that the, the fullness of Christ is available to us right now. Amen? And, and, she at, and he asks, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord. Look at that. Let's finish this up. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now there was the gentleman that had requested the Lord intervene into his child's life, right? And, um, and, and he believed, but he made a confession to the Lord. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, this is the verse that says this, immediately the father of the child cried out, and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? Sometimes we might be able to confess like Mary or Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I'm here right now, here? I'm the resurrection and the life. Christian, do you believe that you're blessed? Do you believe that you're forgiven? Do you believe that I want to fill you with my spirit. Do you believe that I'm walking with you? That I'm never going to leave you or forsake you? Do you believe that I want you to abound in my love and, and, and joy, that your joy may be full? Do you believe? Yeah. Jesus, I believe. I believe. But Jesus, help my unbelief. <laughs> Sometimes we believe, we confess, we believe, but there's that skepticism, that doubt. And, and that particular man, the Lord worked in his life that day. And the Lord worked in Martha's life that day in John 11. And we're going to get to, we're going to finish this up next week, okay? So the lesson for tonight is that the Lord is teaching his different people. He's teaching the disciples. He's teaching Martha. He's teaching Mary. They're all going to see this incredible miracle that is becomes literally the the bookend of the miracle ministry of Christ in his ministry, the water to wine, the raising of Lazarus. And it's all done that we would believe upon him, that we would trust him more and more and more.